random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And you're getting dressed, Eddie. (laughs) And joining us on the other end of the Zoom and string, we are joined with comic book writer, comic book artist, comic book everything under the sun, Kyle Starks. Kyle, good evening. Yeah, thanks for having me here, guys. Very exciting. Very pleased to be here. So first off, let's talk about it right off the bat. I hate this place. No, not the place we're in right now. Ha ha ha. How many times have you gotten that tired joke, by the way, from people? Uh, not in, not many. Good, at least. You know, I'm glad. Yeah. You know. I haven't helped beat the dead horse yet. Nope. Oh, God, yes. But um, I read the book before uh, we got you on here. And first off, I got to tell you, it is a friggin' gorgeous looking book. Like, hot damn. Well, that is uh, that's thanks to Artyom and, and Lee doing some incredible artwork for it. Greatly appreciated. They're bringing the story to life. Uh, they're both very good. So and that helps. It's very, very visceral. Like, obviously, going in, it's a horror comic. And you you partnered up with someone who made it very, like, oh. like I winced at certain parts in this story. So good job, guys. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. Artyom's great. They were real good. You can ask for uh, a better partner in many ways. And it's funny because like I'm looking at Artyom's work and their start was in like the Ice Cream Man quarantine comics book. And it's like, what a place to get your start, essentially, you know? Yeah, I think I think they did some 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 things here and there in Russia. But this is their first major ongoing American work. uh, And they kind of hit the ground running. I think they just did a, a like a contributed a short story to one of those ice cream man anthologies. Uh, I actually don't know it. Sorry, Artyom, but no. he's not listening to this podcast. So I can say whatever I want about Artyom. <laughs> actually, Artyom is now the unannounced. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh no! We, we're, this is going to be Chip Zdarsky and Joe Casada part two. But no. Uh, in regards to the story of I Hate This Place, first off, how did it come about? Ah. Uh, I, to be perfectly honest, there's this there's this place which at the time this was several years ago. Uh, I actually broached, I asked uh, Mr. Kirkman about this setting, sort of a vague idea of the setting many years ago, pre-pandemic. I want to say maybe 2019, 2020. It's I don't know. Time doesn't exist anymore. Um, but now it's a it's kind of a known thing. But back then I had just heard about Skinwalker Ranch, and Skinwalker. Do you guys know Skinwalker Ranch by any chance? I have heard of it, but I don't know. Yeah, what Skinwalker it. Ranch is this crazy. I'm doing air quotes. Real place that has like um, that has lights in the sky, and it has monsters. It has monsters in the woods. It has these supernatural like uh, Native American myths. And I'd never heard of a place Bigfoot. I think it has Bigfoots. Anyway, I'd never heard of a place that had everything, all the scary supernatural things, uh, all of them. And uh, I thought it was such an interesting setting. For a story because it simply hadn't existed and i thought what a great sandbox for a horror story because you can do any genre you want um 
as someone who loves horror, like what an enticing opportunity and like like a little sandbox to play in. So I came up for it a while ago, or not, I came up with the setting to see, and I, I, I sort of asked Robert, I was like, do you think, like, do you think you could tell a story here in a place like that, that'd be interesting? He's like, yeah. And then when the pandemic came around uh, without conventions, like I was kind of desperate for work and, and I emailed Robert and I was like, hey, are you guys looking for anything? And he's like, yeah, you should do that horror story you pitched to me in New York. I did not pitch it. I simply one, one guy talking to another person. I was interested in his thoughts. Um, and so I did and they liked it. We we found an artist, which was Artyom uh, and Lee obviously came in later. Um, but yeah, it's really like once you, you know, I'm really more story than, I'm more about the story than characters or events. So once you know, we had to sit down. I didn't really sit down and figure out what's the story that takes place in this remarkable ranch. Uh, and here we are now. We did it. And in regards to the, you know, by the way, you mentioned Bigfoot. Wouldn't the pluralized version of Bigfoot be Bigfeet? It, ha- it would have to be. I think the, it, are there more than one? I don't even know. I don't know. There are dozens of them. Dozens. No. Um, But in regards to this story, one of the things about it is the, just you know the memorability of the characters too like they're just they're very memorable with their actions their personalities their types and for example trudy's a badass 110 percent. like i wish i had the muscles that trudy has just a heads up yeah my god yeah she's yoked up hell yeah <laughs> yeah so i get asked about gabby and trudy pretty frequently um, and I said, I, I'm, I'm story first. Um, and the characters exist to sort of, for me, characters exist to tell a story. And then I find a way to try to make those characters, characters I want to spend time with or who serve functions of being enjoyable, et cetera, et cetera. So in this case, you know, I hate this place is about Rutherford Ranch, which has all these awful things on it. It has ghosts. It has uh, monsters in the woods. It's, there's poltergeist. There's some sort of dark entity. There's lights in the sky. And I needed someone who's capable of doing the action bits because you have to have the action bits so for trudy to be that i decided she would be from a survivalist background she'd be sort of a doomsday prepper type and in that regard i thought how interesting it would be to be the type of person who prepares for the worst things to happen to be put in a place where you can't prepare for the worst things to happen because there's no you can't google what to do about ghosts right like you can't google how to solve the dark entity in the woods um and her her wife uh, uh gabby was very much an optimist and that was the same like what happens when you put an optimist in a situation that's very bleak um so yeah i love them both they're both my special girls and i adore i adore them but that's sort of how their character came to be and the, the way they they work off of each other and by the way before we get to that i want to also mention that the place has everything it even has the complete series of the facts of life so that's a very nice little touch i like that but yeah, when you when you have your you have your haunting escape room, you have to have entertainment in there. So, well, one of the things is in regards to relationships with these characters and Gabby and Trudy. I like when Gabby will have that moment of weakness and Trudy or not Trudy. Ugh, let me yeah, get Trudy right again. <laughs> when Trudy has a moment of weakness and Gabby is one. No, you're going to you're going to overcome this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. I love that. I love that about the relationship with the two characters. And it's it's kind of inspiring, you know? It's like it's very 
the positivity that these characters have in such an overwhelming situation that they're you know thrust into yeah i think i think there should be that frankly portrayed in media more often it's like they love each other and want the best for each other they're looking out for each other and trudy is trudy is the one you know who's going to do the heavy lifting but it's gabby who does the sort of emotional heavy lifting in their group um they have a very healthy relationship and i love it i think there should be more of it now in regards to other characters in there uh horwitzer horwitzer i'm trying to like, dante howitzer i love that character the ghost hunter spoilers yeah, how is there like i was so pissed slash sad that he died and it was like oh i liked him he was a goof but i liked him yeah popular breakout character dante howitzer that i murdered well i didn't murder him someone else murdered him <laughs> that is well technically you are the perpetrator behind that murder so you are held i'm just at- saying i didn't do it with my i didn't do it with my hands my hands did not do it he was a supervisor Thank you, Eddie. Sure. <laughs> sake, my time is limited, unfortunately, for this for this episode. But uh, someone who is a, a Halloween and or horror fan, but to a certain degree, not not everything all encompassing. Um, and you're getting me interested in, in what this is all about. It's violent. Just thinking, though, how what it looks like. I hate this place. And that can come across as just a plain old statement of fact. I'm thinking of it as a cover of somebody saying that in some yeah. of the that always had word bubbles and so on and it could be really emphatic and, and whatever else would go along with it and a, and a guy's scared out face creepy looking so uh, i'm getting those kind of possible vibes yeah well the original title uh which you can get was uh, uh i don't know what the curse situation is it's f this place and the reason for that is that i if, if i were in this place that is what i would say and i think that's uh fruity says it every issue that's the f this place is it is it kind of like the equivalent of they said the line they said the line I don't know man I, I kind of like it as like a little like a little treat for that first arc is that Trudy says it at some point or somebody says it I, somebody says it so in a way you kind of have your, uh, I've got a bad feeling about this like in Star Wars like you have sure. you have your own that's kind of cool to see yeah well I think especially like once they once they had us change the title the 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 broad title. Which is which is not a problem. Like it's on shelves. Like I totally get it. I thought it was a nice little treat for me too to have that original title still keep showing up. Was that on the first issue? Because I do uh-huh. remember seeing that. Yeah, it's the B. I mean, technically it's the B cover, but it was the original uh, approved and pitched title for the book. We had we had some pushback from retailers, and we were happy to make the change. And so it was something similar, and I can't equate it to what it actually comes from, but I think the line is right when some male character is saying. I hate those guys. I can't equate it to something. Maybe it was a movie. Mm-hmm. But that's my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Bear and a Studebaker. So no, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, my first introduction to you was Sex Castle. And Sex Castle is like one of the most underrated comics I've ever read. And I feel like it doesn't get as much love and attention as it should. Like as a fan of 1980s canon movie picture, I love the big over the top explosions, just the cheese ball element of it and just 1980s action heroes. And Sex Castle is just one of those stories when you see all that stuff going on, you know, contrasting with the whole flower shop element. I love it. And I want to know, with Sex Castle, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, I mean, so Sex Castle was my 
second book, my first book was uh, age 30, late 30s. I did a book called Legend of Ricky Thunder, which I self-published, which is about a wrestler. Um, and it was my first comic as I had ever made. And I fell in love with making comics. It got discovered on accident. I was only making it for my own purposes. I never thought anyone would see it. I just wanted, is literally a, a bucket list, is that I wanted to do a full comic. Um, and I did Ricky Thunder, which I think is 180 pages. That's not the way to do it. Don't do it that way. Um, but after I did that, my wrestling book, I was like, oh, I'm going to make another one because I love making these books. What else do I love? I love 80s action movies. So I was like, oh, I'm going to make the best. I'm going to make the best 80s action movie never made. Uh, and I think I did that. Uh, that's it. After I, I kickstarted that, I was, I was sort of discovered uh, by Matt Fraction who put me in touch with Image and then Image put it out. We were nominated for an Eisner Award. It was optioned before it came out. Of course, nothing came with that. Um, so it, it was really my breakout. It, it, because of Sex Castle, I did Rick and Morty for five years uh, and made my career. I love it. But that, that was, yeah, I, just, I wanted to make the best. I love 80s action movies. I didn't want to make a satire. I didn't want to make a spoof. Uh, it's an homage to a genre that I adore. And I think I did make the best 80s action movie never made. I stand by that. I think it's funny and charming and it's got great action bits, it's got great character bits. Uh, it might still be my best book. It's tough for me to argue. Just from an emotional standpoint, it did so much for me. But I, I whenever I reread it, I'm I'm super amused every time. So, and you know, with it, like I love seeing the love and affection you have towards all of those actors. Like you have a Hulk Hogan type, you have a Char Charles Bronson Pelly, you have you have that type in there, and all of these different actors. And are there any particular favorites of that style of film from that era that you love the most more than anyone else? I, I like actor wise or. Yeah. Oh, I'm a Schwarzenegger guy for sure. For sure. I'm a Schwarzenegger guy. This is like, we, we had a brief wrestling conversation before. So I'm assuming there's sometimes wrestling happens on this. Um, I'm, I live in Evansville, Indiana, which was one of like the three stops for Lawler Memphis wrestling. And I used to go all the time when I was little, super little and uh well past being little too but it quit coming at so anyway and uh whenever it came through here he was feuding when he was when he was feuding with andy kaufman andy kaufman did not come to evansville he only went to memphis right right but they'd have like jimmy hart be like oh andy kaufman is the biggest star in hollywood and i i can clearly remember like little me little couch starts being like no he's not arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> is the biggest star like so mad that someone would dare like besmirch Arnold Schwarzenegger's name as the greatest actor of that period in Hollywood. So I'm for sure. Uh, I'd say he's my number. He's my number one. Uh, there's a lot of Dolph I like, for sure. I don't know, man. I like all of it. I watch so many B action. I watch any of it, any especially from that period. Like I just love them. I what really about, do. I just sincerely love them. What about Canon? Like Canon? what about Canon? No, can Canon Pictures. Why am I? What is Canon Pictures? I'm blanking on this. Uh, what? Uh, Galan and Globus. They're the ones that like. Uh, they made all the Death Wish sequels, uh, the Chuck Norris movies, like Missing in Action and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Any love? I like, like those. There, there's just something special about that era, and it's like, again, the over the topness. You know, mildly pun intended, since they did release the movie over the top with Sly Stallone. But yeah, that's a good one. It's such it's such yeah. a unique uh, time period. And I feel like, again, that, you know, Sex Castle is a love letter to that era. And I enjoy the fact that 
as somebody who enjoys those kind of films, like there is the love and affection towards that era, especially like I said, seeing Charles. I'm looking, see, it's so funny because I never, I never, I guess, never knew like this like designation. I just did a podcast about the ninja movies um, oh. a few months ago. Uh, that's so funny. Like, I just don't think, I didn't think about production company. Like, I don't look at movies in terms of production company. I never have. So that's interesting that these are all tied together because I sincerely, I sincerely did not know that Cobra and Breaking 2 had a through line to each other. Cobra, like, you look at so many of those too. Like, they, and it's funny because, like, they were known as, like, this company that would make, you know, these cheesy kind of, you know, low, quote unquote, low budget things. And then they would do movies that were, like, oscar bait every once in a while like every you know maybe 20 or 30 films like runaway train with uh john voight is like you know yeah it's a good one like for best picture and it's like that was those guys you know the guys who did superman 4 the quest for peace and it's like really but it's at the same time also like there's just cool stuff from that era you know yeah life force that's so crazy yeah i didn't i didn't i i didn't know that these all were connected honestly yeah uh what's it called the one that i wanted like they would also like do like let the creators or the actors do their passion projects. Like, Hey, we're going to have you do this, this, and this, but you can do the one you really want to do. And like the reason Christopher Reeve uh, did Superman four with them was because they said, Hey, we will fund your passion project street smart where he is alongside uh Morgan Freeman in a pre uh, Apparently also Oscar nominated apparently. Yeah. And it's again, like there's just so many cool different things about that, you know, production company. How interesting! I've and, never, yeah, I've never heard, I've never heard those films framed as as canon films. That's really interesting. They did uh, Texas Chainsaw Two, and Texas Chainsaw, ugh, easy for me to say. Texas Chainsaw Two is like one of those. It's I enjoy it more than the original because it's so out there, it's gaudy, and it's it's not serious. I love when you know something will not take itself serious. You know what I mean? And for sure. Like I love. Uh, I love the Texas that Texas Chainsaw. Like I love uh, Jason X, you know, from uh, New Line Cinemas. Like mm-hmm. I love the absurdity of it, you know, where there's like literally the uh, the virtual reality rendering of the two uh, girls. Hey, let's have unprotected sex and smoke pot. Want to join us? And then you just see him like, nope. <laughs> so there's just something about again something not taking itself seriously, and I love like with your writing you have the comedic chops the comedic background with a lot of this stuff and what was your like do you do stand up at all or anything like that no 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 <laughs> i just you're writing i very- just like i just like i like it when things are funny i like to entertain people that's it's that's the gist of it i mean i, I like i've always i've always just consumed so much media and you know when it comes time to make the thing you make the thing you want to make and i like to make people laugh when I can, I think I'm one of the the writers who are able to do it regularly. Um, I did a podcast last night about assassination, and I so I reread Assassination, which I haven't looked at in three years, four years, and I was like, oh, this is funny, like good work, way to way to go. But I think like when you're doing those bits, like I don't write jokes. I when I get to the bit where there could be a joke or there's a fill in, I just go, well, what what amuses me? And I think if you sort of if you think in that regards but also how comedy is so subjective that you do have to make funny bits for people other than yourself because otherwise you're you're putting it in a little box right so like i try to do highbrow stuff and i try to do lowbrow stuff and i try to mix it all together but in the end like i wanted 
I want to think it's funny. And I think if I think it's funny, then people in general will find it funny. And I think I've been successful in that. Uh, but no, I never did. And I, I mean, I, I've always written. I, that's not even true. Like for many years, I just drank. So there wasn't any writing. Um, but I think like I've always been around funny people. And it's just how you do things. It's just my voice. Well, I was going to say in regards to, you know, when you revisited your stuff, you're like, hey, I did good. Was it kind of like a Barry Horowitz pat on the back a little bit, you know, a little uh, indentation on the back of the shirt of the hand? Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. But I, I think, in, and I've been so lucky is that I've almost never had to do a project I didn't want to do. Yeah. Um, there are very few examples. And even the ones that fill that, let's say there's three. There are three. Of those three, two I still like. I think I pulled it off. Like, I don't think I would have chosen. I know I would not have chosen or sought out those opportunities. But of the three times I did things that weren't things that I wanted to do, I was, I'm very pleased with how they came out. And I, even with those now, I'd be like, I'd be like, that's pretty good. You did pretty good. And yeah. we're hoping to keep it that way. Like it, a lot of people, you know, when you're just trying to make a living, and especially in comics, which is there's not a lot of money, you have to take work that you don't have to. I've been very lucky that I've never had to do that. Or so rarely, like it doesn't even matter. Because um, a lot of people are taking, you know, those throwaway fill-in issues just because they need the money. It's like, I don't really want to do that unless I have a good idea. If I have a good idea, then I'll do it. That's how Mars Attacks happened. I, had to, I was asked and I was like, I don't know. If I have a good idea, I'll do it. Because I don't love, I mean, I like Mars Attacks fine. It's not my favorite thing. Uh, but I do think that's like maybe my third best comic that I did with Schweitzer. So I've been lucky. I've been lucky. This is good to, uh, when you don't have to make things you don't have to, or that you, I don't know what I'm, I know what I'm trying to say, but um you're always making your best work, you know? So you make the thing you want to exist rather than trying to to make the things other people want you to make. I get it makes that. Makes it easier. Yeah. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier... Pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. And it's like, you know, also like the flip side, like what I'm seeing right now, like not flip side, but you know what I mean? Like one of the things that's coming up for you is the uh, Peacemaker Project, which just got announced over at uh, the Distinguished Competition, DC Comics. And when I saw the announcement, I screamed because I stubbed my toe, but also because I love the character of Peacemaker and the version I'm seeing, the way it looks, it feels like it's not going to be more of the comic version, but as opposed to it's going to be more of like, you know, the on-screen portrayal by everyone's favorite, uh, you know, 16-time world champion, John Cena. And, or sorry, Jonathan Felix Cena. You got to give the man his props. Um, but it's, I like that because I like that interpretation of the character and we're not always going to be getting more content with the characters. It's going to be a while till we see something, you know, based on uh, Papa Gunn's, um, you know, slate coming up. Like, we don't know if he's going to show up in the Amanda Waller project. We don't know. But 
I like knowing that this is going to be coming along and it could, you know, fill the need for what I like of that character. And like I said, I saw the covers and I'm like, my God, those look good. And it's rare times. I'm like, I might have to quadruple dip on some of these covers. Like they're really, even the variants, man, like they're really, really good looking. They're they're really, really good. They're doing a variant that's uh, like a movie treatment to the regular cover. And those are so dumb. Like it's it's mean because the cover is great. Uh, they're doing, gosh, I hope I don't mess this up. I think Steve's doing a cover, but he might not be. Christopher Anka is doing a cover for every book, and then they're doing a movie treatment of that, which they all look great. Like the movie treatment cards are so good. I wrote ta- we wrote taglines for each one, so each one's like a sequel uh, to the previous one. Um, uh, Dan Hip did a great. I love Dan Hip so oh, much. Uh, that- as- blown away that he's in there it's all good every variant cover steve lieber i don't know if some of these have been announced steve lieber is doing one that looks great they're all great they're all great variant covers it's mean like as as for me it's great because let's make these sales let's get those sales out there but from a consumer standpoint all those covers and i this isn't hyperbole this isn't hyperbole they're really good covers like everyone brought like their a game or maybe their game is just that good all the time um but yeah, it's pretty, I'm pretty blown away by by the efforts of people with their covers. Well, you mentioned Chris. And it Anka. is more. Yeah, well, you Chris, mentioned, you mentioned Anga and like how much of Peacemaker's shirt is ripped on there? Uh, I'd have to see which one you because I've it, I've not I don't know which one they released. I don't know which. I I enjoy the that. One, I, the, well, I enjoy that the trope of uh, Anka's art is everyone somehow ends up in the end shirtless and. Oh, I. I don't think so. I don't think there's. I, I don't think there's any shirtless covers. I could be mistaken. I because I, I think I've only seen two or three of his. There's yeah, just, I think I've only seen two. I'm beyond hype for this series, and like Peacemaker, you know, it's a character that you know five years ago I never thought I would hear about. You know, well, and, outside of outside of uh, Watchmen, right? Outside of the Watchmen uh, corollary, yeah. that's because he didn't exist. He's had one miniseries. That's that's the thing about Gunn that he's so good at. Even if you look at Gardens of the Galaxy, is that he's really good at. Which, by the way, it's like I don't want to write Spider Man. I want to write minor character X, right? Like yeah. because they, there's more room to to play and to create with them, which is why his Suicide Squad specifically is so brilliant. Because it's like you can do whatever you want to these characters. They have if they have any history and i think that the thing about him is he is pretty he still kind of caresses and like takes care of those character lore but he finds a way to make them interesting they're the the peacemaker miniseries that came out in like 86 which is really prior to suicide squad the only non-comedian based sort of um peacemaker i think um uh what was that morrison series uh, Pax uh, Americana. I think. Yeah, yeah. There's a peacemaker in there. Like, there's a peacemaker in there. But it's a character that like really hasn't existed, and that's why, like, for someone to come along and find a really great interpretation, um, which Gunn did, like, that's awesome. Like, and that's absolutely you referenced earlier. Like, that's very much what the goal is: is to provide more of that content. Um, legally, it is not identical because that's the TV movie thing. But um, when they came to me, that's my thing. Is like I endeavor to give. I want more of that character and we want to give people more of that type of character. Um, so it is very much that and not the old, I think he had ghosts in his, well, season two, he'll have his dad's ghost, but I think he had ghosts in his head and it's like sort of another 
um, when DC got their hands on that Charleston character, it felt like them sort of trying to come up with another Punisher, which was very much like Wild Dog too. Wild Dog also was very much like a bad sort of, we need a Punisher character pretty badly that doesn't really pan out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love that series. Uh, if you read Sex Hassle, then you know, like me writing big dummies with hearts is like very much my thing. I love action. I love big action moments. Uh, so I, it's, I stoked. I stoked they, they came to me. And uh, we just wrapped up issue six. And I think it's a really great series. I, if, I think if people read it, um, I think if people read it, which is always the trick in comics, right? Is if you can get people to read it. But if people will read it, I think they'll be like, this is great. It's a lot of fun. It pulls at my heartstrings a little bit. There's big action. There's some great fights. Steve Pugh, of course, is uh, so good. He's such a good artist. Um, I, I think it's going to be, I, I'm hoping... I think it's going to be big just because it's Peacemaker. Um, people are going to buy it just because it's Peacemaker, but I hope they read it. For all those years working on Rick and Morty, which was uh, a great regular seller in the comics industry, a lot of people just didn't read it. They were only buying it as a gift or as a collector's item, right? Um, and with all these variants, I think it's the same. People, A lot of sales are going to be because of collectors, which is fine. Um, but I think if people read it and they like it, then hopefully they try, you know, assassination or sex castle or one of these older books because i think it's the same vibe it's the same energy well with this book as well because you're a wrestling fan you do realize there are going to be fans that go to conventions that big match john is going to be at and they're going to ask him to sign a book that you wrote yeah does awesome. that make you feel like you know the 16 time wwe champion is going to sign something that you created i i'm more excited that people bought it and want someone to sign it period than I am of who's signing it. It's such, it's such a weird thing, especially, you know, going back, you know, with your wrestling fandom and by the way, shout out to a mutual friend of the show, uh, Jason Ayers, uh, the best damn referee in the biz today. That's right. And, and yesterday as well. And two weeks from now as well, just got to keep, you know, keep going. But in regard, by the way, just going over uh, to wrestling real quick, uh, how much of wrestling would you say has influenced your writing? Uh, I don't know, man. That's that's tough. I mean, wrestling in general is not very well written. So I hope not as not as much as there could be. Bro, what do you but mean? I think, bro? Uh, but I think um I think there's always for me it's always interesting if for, for people who are like superhero fans like to kind of hate on whenever there's that hate for towards wrestling because it's the same you know what i mean it's battles it's good versus evil it's big characters yeah um and i think like in that regards there's also a lot of terribly written superhero comics so um whether how much influence i don't know man but i do love characters like i i've always i love characters and i'll tell you what i think what I used to say, especially when I did Ricky Thunder, which again was my first thing available on my website, by the way, cosmos.com, I think. I think I still have some copies left. Um, is that the thing about comics and wrestling that I find really, in horror movies too, because these things all sort of go together, is sort of the baseline of these things is below good, right? Baseline, right. it's below good, but I, but I love it. It's like those 80s action movies. They're mostly not art. Like they're mostly just, but they're fun for me. Like I enjoyed... I enjoy the adventure and I enjoy the consumption. But when any of those things, comics, wrestling, horror movies, when they are able to rise above the sort of box that they're in, the it's such a grand achievement. It's so much bigger than like 
hey, I write dramas. Look at this good drama. It's like, well, dramas are mostly good. You know what I mean? Like that's a genre that's mostly good. And you're just like, you're already in a high, like you're, you're already able to be great because there's so many great things. Um, so whenever those, whenever wrestling is great, I, I would say right now, WWE is in a, a very small window where it's telling one of the best WWE stories of all time. Um, it's so enjoyable because it's like they're overcoming so much to do that thing. But also one would say we could all try harder. Everyone could have been trying harder this whole time, right? Absolutely. And uh, you know, so that's you... what I, I think that's the thing is like, I, I, I think for me, I would like to have something be great, but it's more important to me to be like, this is fun. And isn't that what you want from these genres? You want for it to be an enjoyable time that you're glad you're a part of and don't regret having done, right? You don't regret that you lost two hours this week to X show or um, you lost 30 minutes to reading a bad comic. I would be able to read my books, which are fast. Uh, I make them fast on purpose because I think it's an experience that you should fly through um, with layers. Obviously there's layers in there, but uh, I would like to be great. I'm trying to be the, that middle, that middle good high. I just want to be a good time for people to be entertained. And I think that's what those genres all do when they're at their best. And, you know, you mentioned just now about, you know, that WWE is at its best right now in a lot of ways. And a lot of wrestling fans are currently uh, bitching, moaning and kvetching as of this recording on Monday, February 20th. We're two days removed from the uh, Elimination Chamber event. Do you think Sammy should have won the title because I'm one of those? No, he shouldn't. The whole storyline is you know, his uh, heartbreak involving the uh, Usos and, you know, now his friend and noted uh, kicker of the dinghy, uh, Kevin Owens, they're going to win the belts. Uh, I think I think the best thing about wrestling for WWE, which I didn't watch for years because I think it was it was unviewable. Um, and I came back when what's his, you know, old what's his name was gone and knew what's his name was trying very hard to tell stories again, um, which is what I want. I I'm not, I, I don't dislike New Japan at all, but I'm not interested in necessarily a great match. I want a great story, and I think good wrestling matches tell stories in addition. Um, I'm not looking for like a technical, I mean, I enjoy it, but it's like, I don't want to watch an hour of technical matches. I want to watch an hour of soap opera, right? So for me, I think what was what, what is indicative of how great this particular story is, is going into that pay-per-view. I had no idea what was going to happen, and I was totally okay with whatever happened, because unless they screwed it so hard. And I, I just couldn't imagine how they could. Like there was no bad outcome. I don't know what they're gonna do at the next pay-per-view. I can't wait to find out. And the best kind of stories are that. Not whether it pleased me up or down, but whether or not I don't know what's gonna happen, I can't wait to find out. I do not get excited about things. I was giddy for that main event. And um, I was talking to a friend and they were like, they're like, you know, look at this like overbooked madness. And I'm like, I am thoroughly entertained. Yeah, like, is it the best match I've ever seen? Absolutely not. Was it was it technically the best match I've ever seen? No. Was it the most fun match I've ever seen? No. I was thoroughly entertained, and that's like for WWE to do that to me. That's them rising above that box because I think for literally ten years they were not. Well, maybe ten not. Five years it was unwatchable to me. It was unwatchable because they clearly didn't care about me as a viewer. They weren't doing stories. Um, if there was a story, it was almost a side. It was it was a result of a wrestler trying very hard to make a story out of nothing. Right. Um, that for this to be happening, for it to be, for it to be great, promo work by a guy who didn't say anything besides one Spanish word for the majority of his career. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I I it, I 
also for this guy to be rewarded to not leave when he should have, and he should have. Everyone's like, you know, this is so because it's not comics anymore. People are like, oh, Sammy, he should have left, which he probably should have because of their Saudi ties or whatever, but he didn't. And like, this is a reward. And also, like, he earned this, which sort of is kind of, in my opinion, sort of a knock against WWE. Because if you look at the last, let's say, 15 years, and I'm going to say this is one of the three great stories. None of those stories were necessarily written so much as earned, which is to say CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, and now Sandy Zayn, is that they were not supposed to get by. These guys were never supposed to succeed, right? Um, to me, that again, that's rising above that box. It's these guys made it impossible not to give them whatever they give them. Uh, my dude, my guy I was talking to was like, I'm not satisfied with this ending because he wanted Sammy to win. And for me, I don't think Sammy needs to win the title for that to be a great story. I don't think they need to win the tag titles for that to be a great story. But I do think he has to win at some point, right? Like he has to defeat Roman at some point. I think that's the rewarding end for people. Um, and it didn't happen at this one. There's still more story to tell. And the best thing about this great story is I can't wait to see what the next thing is. I just I will, can't wait. I will say on this program, we do every single day acknowledge and recognize our tribal chief Roman Reigns in these trying times. So just, you know. No yeah, bad mouth. No bad. Yeah, mouth. that's another. That's another thing. Like again, I, I don't. I want to talk about my comics, but another thing is like for years, people going, "This guy should be a heel. This guy should be a heel," and them fighting so hard because the person who ran it at that time simply didn't want. He wanted to be his way, right? He didn't yeah. care about story. He didn't care about fans. He just wanted to be right. And it's like, man, has anyone, has anyone shown him to be wrong more than Roman Reigns? Like, like he's obviously should have been a heel, not from the beginning. Because I think Shield Roman Reigns, like he could have rode lightning down to the, you know, he could have done anything. I think he was so over. It was great, but he reached a point where it's like this guy's a heel, and what, who's a better heel over the last ten years? I don't think anyone has been. He's he's great at it. Anyway, and I love that in wrestling you have the moments of a story where it can be you know equatable to something happening in comics and. The one like that, one of my favorite moments that I've ever been able to be in person for was a lot of the uh, Kevin Steen El Generico storyline. Yeah. I was there the night that, you know, that's why I say kicked him in the dinghy. I was there the day or the night he kicked yeah. Jericho right square and then smacked him into the head with the chair and, and you know, dissolved the uh, Steen Erico tag team. And yeah. I love moments. And, like then, and then maybe went on to tell one of the best wrestling stories again of the last 15 years. And like, you know, repeatedly, I remember when I met, um, I, I would see Kevin over the years at different signings and things. And I remember my first ring of honor show. And I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, we will get back to talking about comics, but uh, <laughs> in regards to, uh, you know, this, my first ring of honor show was Daniel Bryan's final ring of honor show because I have amazing timing. My first night watching wrestling was the night WCW died on March 26, 2001. So you can imagine how great I am at getting in on things. So yeah, these are historical moments though. You're looking at it wrong. It's not bad timing. It's perfect timing. Absolutely. And you're there for history. And like when I went to that show, I remember we were near, we were getting ready to leave. We actually had to leave during Nigel versus Bryan because of uh, New Jersey Transit having the best trains ever. And so we're getting ready to leave, but I'm watching part of the opening of that match as Brian's out there and a fan is yelling to him like he's a boxer, like, you know, coaching him on, like saying, kick him in the dick, kick, da, 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 yeah, yeah. punch him in the ear. Like literally punch him in the ear was a recurring line throughout that match. But I remember watching that. And I'm just like, wow, 
that dude was quiet this entire show and got in only on his match. And I remember like I'm, I became a Kevin Owens fan. Like Owens is my guy. He's my favorite wrestler currently going nowadays. Cause I'm a big McFoley fan and I see the, you know, yeah, yeah. Appeal. so I am watching Owens as these shows go on and on. And eventually I got to a point, I'm like, he was my guy. And I remember this was right before he got signed like it was like he was getting ready to leave Ring of Honor. And what ended up happening was I saw him at a House of Hardcore show. And I told him this was after War of the Worlds where he wrestled Shinsuke Nakamura. And I said, I recounted the whole Daniel Bryan comparison. I say, man, there I am in the balcony. And Nakamura won the match. And I'm the only one saying, you know, booing him and flipping him the bird. <laughs> and like, it was literally like, wow, I now have my guy. I understand that Daniel Bryan fan, because I have my team that I'm rooting behind. Yeah. It makes it better. It makes all, all competition is better when you have someone to root for, I think. Now in regards to just comics in general, going back over to the uh, four colored fun of it all, what is next for you other than peacemaker? Uh, I don't think the next things have been announced. I, I do have, uh, uh, I hate this place comes back. I think beginning of April for the, the final arc. Uh, I don't know if that's been announced. It's the final arc for the next arc. It might not be the final one. It is. Um, uh, Where Monsters Lie, number one, came out last month. It did really well. It's about a gated community for slasher monsters. So number two should be coming out uh, this month. That's four-issue series. Peacemaker comes out May 2nd. Uh, that is my three announced things that are currently happening. Very cool. And again, you know, being able to see, you know, your career evolve over the last few years, it's so damn impressive and again meeting you at uh east coast comic-con the one year you were there and it's it's cool it's cool to be able to see you know the good guys rise up and just kick ass you know it's man we're trying we're trying real hard i appreciate that i and, think good work to work i could be, be gets more good work though right like it just takes a while to find the audience i think you know kevin steen again i want to keep going that's a good example right like that dude's been great I'm not saying I'm great, but I'm saying like that dude has always been good. And it just took a really long time for everyone to sort of see like that guy is really good. Um, and I think all you can do is just, you know, make, make good work and hopefully the opportunities come to you. And I'm trying really hard to do that and not sacrifice what has made me, uh, what's the word, like enjoyable to the group that I've had. Right. Yeah. So now before we wrap this episode up, Kyle, thank you so much for your time this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Go buy my books. They're in stores now. They're so good. How can people get a hold of you on them, our social medias? Yeah, I am at the Kyle Starks on pretty much everything. Uh, I have a Patreon that's Kyle Starks where we do a sticker club. I do two stickers a month. Uh, fun little stickers for $5 for everybody. I have a store at kylestarks.com, uh, but I'm at the Kyle Starks on all the big ones. Very cool. While they exist. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Kyle Starks. And Eddie Wilson just randomly went on assignment again to Wakanda for no reason. Excelsior. Or Excelsior. Enough said, true believer. Mustache, mustache.